It's good to be at Ivan Rest Christian Reformed Church again. A little different circumstances than last time, but it is indeed a privilege to be with you. My name again is Jeff Wyma. I'm a professor of New Testament at Calvin Theological Seminary. Um, I'm pleased this morning because uh, I get to preach to living, breathing people. Um, the last few months, I've been preaching in front of my laptop cam, uh, my laptop computer. And actually, I'm used to preaching in front of a camera. I've done that in a studio quite a bit. It's not so great. You know, you just see a black thing, and there's some people lurking around in the background. But what's worse the last few months is when you're at home, uh, you're actually preaching to yourself because you have to have your laptop showing yourself because you've got to know whether you're in the screen or not. And so I've literally been preaching to myself for the last three months, and it's uh, a little more exciting to have, again, living, breathing folks. And so uh, thank you for that opportunity. The text uh, you're going to see is perhaps one that resonates with your memory. As I understand it, uh, the office bearers of this church, elders and deacons, recently visited a lot of you. Was it with a plant? But in any case, there was a text. And that text is the one we're looking at this morning, Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. So let's hear what God said through Paul to the Christians in Asia Minor a long, long time ago, and what God continues to say to us today, and it goes like this. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory. In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our scripture passage this morning is a prayer. In fact, if you pulled out your Bible, they have these headings that are added and in this Bible, it says a prayer for the Ephesians. Because in this passage, what is Paul doing? He's, he's writing, yes, to these Christians, but he's telling them that he's praying for them. And in this prayer, Paul is bringing his hopes, his biggest desires, his wishes for what he hopes God will do in and through these people. And this morning, I would like Paul's prayer for the Ephesians to become my prayer for you here at Ivan Rest Christian Reformed Church. And there are four P's, if you will, in this prayer, and I'd like to walk those P's with you this morning. The first one you can see is the passion of the prayer. You probably missed it. You probably didn't see the great, great intensity and passion with which Paul is praying. Why? Because it's found in just two little words that probably went right over your and my head. The words are found in verse 14 and go like this. For this reason, are you ready for the two little words? 
I kneel. You see, Jews and Jewish Christians, like the Apostle Paul, would normally stand praying. They'd be on their feet, usually with their hands lifted high to heaven. That was their normal posture of prayer. But when there was something big going on in their life, if they were kind of wrestling with some particular issue, they would do something different. They would get down on their knees and pray. You remember, of course, this is what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was passionately in prayer with his Father in heaven as he was facing his impending death. And now Paul, writing to the Ephesians, is saying something similar. He says, I'm on my knees praying for you, and I too this morning, quite literally, am on my knees praying for the brothers and sisters at Ivan Rest Christian Reformed Church praying that they may have the same kind of passion which is reflected in this posture. That we're here this morning, not just out of habit, not just because we're curious to see what's going on, and that we're not just going through the motions, but that, but that we have a passion for the gospel, for who God is and what He's done for us through Jesus Christ. And that passion is infectious, right? It, it impacts all of our life, and we want others to know about this gospel too. Brothers and sisters, that's the passion in the prayer. But you'll also see from the outline that there are petitions I stress the plural because there's more than one thing that Paul is asking God to do in the hearts and lives of these Christian readers. And the first petition begins in verse 16, and it goes halfway through verse 17, and it goes like this. I pray, right, here's the first petition, I pray what? That out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So what's the first petition of the prayer? That Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. The Greek language that Paul used to write this letter has a bunch of different possible words for this idea of Christ dwelling, staying, remaining. See, in English, we have a lot of different verbs, too. The most common Greek word, by far, actually, has the idea of staying somewhere, but staying only temporarily, staying for a little while. For instance, uh, years ago, when my wife and I came to West Michigan, not as a professor, but as a student at Calvin Seminary, and we're from Canada, the American government referred to us as resident aliens. And I didn't mean we were from outer space, although some of us Canadians are a little strange and peculiar. It meant that we were what? We were dwelling here in the U.S., but only temporarily, right? We'd, it'd only be for a, a, a little while, and, and that was the case. We were here for our studies, and then we moved back. If you would invite me to your house sometime, maybe not now, right, because of the COVID crisis, but if you did, I'd go to your house, I'd be staying, I'd be dwelling at your place, but only temporarily. You'd probably be pretty happy that I'd finally leave and you could wave goodbye and go back to your own life again without me. So a very common word for the idea of staying, remaining, dwelling is this idea of staying temporarily. 
Now, there's another Greek word which is more rare and a lot more emphatic. In fact, this Greek word literally means to house oneself. Because the idea is when you set up your home, that's a lot of work and effort, and you don't do it typically just for a brief period of time. You do it in a more permanent basis. And you probably can guess which of these two words that Paul uses in the first petition of this prayer. He uses that rarer, he uses that second, more emphatic word. Paul says, brothers and sisters, I am praying that Christ will, well, what? Well, not just be in your hearts temporarily, not just for a little while, but that Christ will house himself, that Jesus will kind of move in and take over your heart through faith. Perhaps you're a little bit puzzled by this first petition. You might say, well, if he's writing to Christians, if he's writing to Jesus' followers, doesn't Christ already dwell in their hearts through faith? Why does he have to pray this? Well, Paul knows that many people, many Christians, are far too gifted, if I might use that word, at allowing Jesus into their life, but only in a limited way, right? Only in a restricted way. We don't mind Jesus ruling our heart and our life, say, on Sunday morning. You know, there's not much going on on Sunday morning anyway, so why not give that to Jesus? But, you know, Sunday afternoon and the rest of the week, well, that's for me and what I want to do. Or, or some of us are willing to let Jesus live in our home life because we think maybe that's good for our marriage or good for our kids or something like that. But when I go to work, when I go to sports, when I'm on vacation, when I travel, well, then I'm on my own. But that's not the way Paul wanted things to be for the Christians in Ephesus, and that's not the way I'm praying for things to be here in this Ivan Rest Christian Reformed Church. In fact, I'm on my knees this morning praying for this congregation, praying that Jesus is going to move into your heart and your life, into your space, that that, well, you're going to do something that is probably the most hardest thing for you to do, and that's to let go of the most valuable thing you have. And it's not your money, by the way. And that's the control you think you have over your own life. I'm praying that, that you'll kind of surrender that precious commodity, your very life and being, into the authoritative and powerful and loving hands of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing I'm passionately praying for you this morning, that Jesus Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Petitions, plural. That means there's at least a second one, and indeed there is. If you're looking where we left off, it was in the middle of 17, you'll see another prayer starts. And it goes on to 18 and 19, and it goes like this. In the middle of verse 17, and I pray, here comes the second one, that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is what? The love of Christ, and to know this love that he just mentioned, the love of Christ, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What's the second petition of the prayer? That you may know how great is the love of Christ. That you may know how great is the love of Christ. The Apostle Paul is a very gifted speaker and writer, but as gifted as he was, he no doubt struggled 
when he came to this idea. He thought to himself, now, how can I convey how incredibly great, how amazingly great is the love of Christ for my readers? And no doubt through the working of the Holy Spirit, he came up with this analogy of these four different spatial dimensions. That's what Many of us know this passage, and we, and we kind of love this idea. Paul says, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. If Paul were around today, he probably would use a little more contemporary. We'd say hip language. Paul might say something like, people of God, I want you to be flabbergasted by the fact that Jesus loves you. Or, people of God, I want you to be blown away by the realization that Jesus Christ loves you. Or, people of God, I want your mouth to drop wide open in amazement like, <gasps> when it dawns on you that Jesus Christ loves you. Now, I can't see your faces this morning because you're wearing masks, but I've preached the gospel for a long, long time, and I've seen mouths drop wide open, but most often not in amazement, right? And, and I understand, maybe you've been a Jesus follower for quite a while, right? Maybe so long that, you know, the gospel good news goes in one ear and it kind of goes out the other. I mean, we sing that children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, and then we, well, we almost yawn, you know, been there and done that. But that's not what the Apostle Paul wanted for the Ephesians, and that's not what this professor wants for Ivan Rest Christian Reformed Church. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will know, that you will know, not just intellectually, although that's certainly important too, but you will know in a very personal and powerful way how great is the love of Christ, that you'll know the gospel story about how Jesus humbled himself simply by taking on flesh, <laughs> simply by becoming a baby that already involved his suffering. And then he suffered his whole life as he walked on this earth. And that's why we have, as one writer of the Bible says, a high priest who's able to do something important, to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And of course, Jesus suffered physically on the cross, but even worse than all of that was the wrath the justified anger of God, not for anything that he had done, but for your and my sin. And why in the world did Jesus do all of that? The answer is simple, but the answer is crucial to get. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. There's an old gospel hymn that maybe a few of you will have heard before. It goes like this. There is the, suns there's the wonder of sunset at evening. The wonder of sunrise I see, but the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that Jesus loves me. Is the wonder of wonders that thrills your soul this morning the wonder that Jesus loves you? Is the wonder of wonders that gives you comfort and security in your life what? Is it your bank account? Is it your 401k? Is it your high-powered job? Is it your giftedness and abilities which are guaranteed to bring you... What are the things that is the wonder of wonders that thrills your soul this morning? Well, I'm praying for you. I'm on my knees praying that the wonder of wonders that thrills your soul, whether you're a seasoned Jesus follower in the faith or whether you're a newbie, 
whether this is all just something you're checking out, I'm praying that the wonder of wonders that thrills your soul is the wonder that Jesus loves you. The passion in the prayer, the petitions in the prayer. Next is the promise in the prayer. There's a wonderful promise that Paul gives to his readers. It's found in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. What's the promise in the prayer? Well, our text says God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. If you permit me to refer to the Greek language yet again, that's important here because Paul uses a little Greek word, not once but twice. It's a little Greek word from where we get our English word super. And it's almost like Paul is stressing literally that God's a super, super God, right? I mean, in more colloquial terms, Paul would say he's a super-duper God. He's so amazing, he can do stuff you can't even dream up in your wildest imagination. Like, wow. And we need to remember how incredibly, amazingly powerful and great God is. We have to stop being so impressed with ourselves, because we're not really that impressive, or with our nation, you know, the last military might or something like that. We have to be a lot more impressed with our God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. Why? Well, the reasons should be, I hope, clear to you. But the reasons are because you and I have big, big problems that we can't handle on our own power and strength. So we need a super-duper God. And that's exactly the case. I don't know what's going on in your life, but if you had time to tell me I can promise you this, no matter how terrible it is, I mean, no matter what scenario, whether true or even imagined, I would never ever say to you, like, whoa, hokey, that's terrible. I don't, I, don't, well, I don't think God can help you with that. I'm never going to say that. No matter what you tell me, I'm going to say, well, I, I feel your pain, brothers and sisters, but I've got good news for you. God's a super-duper God who can do things you can't even think up in your imagination. And that's true not only for us individually, but also communally. Because we have communal needs too, don't we, as a congregation here at Ivanrest. As we think about, you know, full-time leadership. As we think about where is our church going. As we think about God calling us, you know, what is our mission in this part of West Michigan. And, and that's hard work. That's challenging. It even seems sometimes discouraging because it's so overwhelming. And it's in those moments we have to remember the promise of the prayer that God's a super-duper God who can do stuff we can't even dream up. But as you're embracing that promise, as I hope you are, there is a catch. Because where is this power of God at work? Well, it says in our Bible, I don't know if you caught it there in verse 20, it says, according to His power that is at work... Some of you have a Bible open, within us. Ah, God loves to work in and through His people. And so what that means is we are challenged to be used by God in His power for His purposes. And I wonder if that's true. I brought uh, just a, a little visual aid for that. 
Um, I brought a, uh, a rubber band with me this morning. Those of us who, who come from Canada call them elastics, but we know that that's foolish and wrong. These are rubber bands, okay? So anyway, I just grabbed this rubber band, you know, from my uh, office drawer this morning, and I was thinking about them the other day, you know, and I was thinking how useless they are. I was cleaning out my office, and so I'm going to throw this away. What good is it? It's just taking up space in my drawer. And then I realized something. I said, well, every once in a while, you know, I've got a paper that's kind of big, doesn't fit into my briefcase, and, you know, I roll it up in order to protect it, and then I need one of these babies, right? But one of these babies is only useful if I stretch it. And I was thinking that a lot of Christians are like, useless rubber bands. You know, they're just sitting around, taking up space, not in my office, but in a church, you know. They're on the membership rolls. They show up in the pews, but they're useless. Why? Because they're unwilling to be stretched in their spiritual life. They're unwilling to be used by God and His power. So let's Imagine that you're called to be a, a spiritual leader in this church, either an office bearer, an elder, or a deacon, or in some other leadership role, and, and you're feeling not up to the task, and I'm saying, well, wait a minute, you don't have to have all kinds of talents and abilities. God's got more than enough power for you to handle. All you have to have is a willingness to be used by Him to be stretched in your spiritual life. And when we're hurting and, and, and troubled people, you know, and, and maybe it feels a little awkward, you know, to, to say the right words or to be around them. Again, are you willing to be an instrument of grace in another person's life? Are you willing to be stretched in your spiritual life? Are you willing to be used by God? And when it comes to sharing the gospel, right, sharing this incredible love of Jesus Christ with somebody that God has put into your life, you're like usually it'd be like a neighbor or a coworker, somebody you have a bit of a relationship with, there's that opportunity to say something a little more personal, right? And it's intimidating, it maybe feels a little awkward, and I'm saying, are you willing to be stretched in your spiritual life? Are you willing to be used by God? You don't have to be a seminary professor, all you have to have is a heart that's willing to be used by God. That's the wonderful promise of my prayer for you this morning. Well, apparently, I don't know that all good sermons have three points. Uh, this one has a fourth one, but you'll be happy to know it's a very short one. So in addition to the passion and the petitions and the promise in the prayer, we end with the praise in the prayer. Because in the last verse, we have this, well, it's really a doxology in which Paul gives praise. Well, let's just see what the words say. Verse 21, to him, that's God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What's the praise in the prayer? Paul says it's to give glory to God. Paul says, I'm not going to give glory to you there in Ephesus, and I don't want you to give glory to me. Paul knows that no matter how hardworking we are, no matter how gifted we are, no matter how successful we are, glory belongs solely and exclusively to God. And so in my prayer this morning, right, I'm praying that Ivan Rest Christian Reformed Church will be that kind of God-focused, glory directed congregation, that this would be a place in which all of our hard work, all of our care and compassion for others, all of our outreach ministry will be done not to bring glory to ourselves, but to bring glory to Him.
Because as one good hymn puts it, Father, we love you. We worship, we adore you. Glorify your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, a word which is every bit as true for us as it was for the Christians, the Jesus followers in Asia Minor so many years ago. And we pray that the same spirit that inspired Paul to write these words will now work in our hearts and our lives so that these words may be, may be heard and heeded that they may fall into, so to say, fertile soil in which they'll bear good fruit. And we pray, O oh God, that the passion and the petitions and the promise and the praise of this prayer will be realized in us, in our individual life, and also in our communal life as a congregation here at Ivanrest. Encourage us with your word and apply that word through your spirit, O oh God, so that we may return to our homes and we may face COVID crisis situations or whatever other traumatic events may come our way with a sense of quiet confidence that you are our God and that we are your people and that our eternal destiny is safely in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, instead of ending as we'd love to do with a stirring song, we can't do that, but we're going to stand. I'll invite you to do so now and receive God's parting blessing. And then after that, would you please re uh, sit down again and then you'll be directed out in an orderly fashion. So as we leave this place, we do so with these words of blessing and assurance from our triune God. May the grace, the truly amazing and transforming grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said loudly through their mask, 